0: morning once again. Hey, um, we start off today, uh, we'll have a recap of where we were last week, but uh, yeah, just in, in uh, thinking about the message and driving today, there's some things that, that kind of, uh, well, just thinking about a different approach. You ever draw a line in a sand, like either literally or figuratively, the whole idea of drawing a line in the sand is saying like, we'll stop, it stops here, it's not going to go any farther, we're, this is where we're going to be. The uh, one thing I learned about when I draw lines of the sand is, is that sand shifts, man, and, it, and that's not a really great place. You, you would never build your house on sand. The wise man builds his house upon the rock, right? Because sh- sand shifts, and it's not a good place for a foundation. So today we're going to talk about Nebuchadnezzar, and we're going to talk about Meshach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you know the story, probably do. If mean, you haven't been to church much, you know the story about the three boys that are thrown into a fiery furnace. They don't get burned up. We can go a lot of different directions on this. We could go, like, the physical aspects of how hot the furnace was. I'm just going to tell you this. The furnace was hot. The idea was hot. And i uh, are not going to get into that too much. I don't even know if we're going to get to the furnace today, to be honest with you. We're going to find a place that that's a good place to land, and we're going to stop. But we're going to talk about these two entities, the group of three Hebrew men, and Nebuchadnezzar, and what I want you to do, and this is going to be maybe hard for you because you don't want to, I've always heard this spend and said so that we want to identify with the three Hebrew children, that we would not draw our line in the sand, we would play in our heels, we're not going to move back, we're not going to give up, we're not going to back down, we're not going to surrender, you know, we are the living embodiment of a spiritual... God centered Tom Petty song. We won't back down. This is you know, this is who we are. This is the the front that we all put when we say that we're Christians. But I want to challenge you today to look into yourself and say, could there be a little Nebuchadnezzar in me? Could I see a little bit of him in me? Because here's what I found in looking at it through my from my perspective: is I can easily see myself as both. My good days, I will stand firm. And on my weekdays, I will bow down. That sets it up. Let's go back and talk about where we were last week. Last week, when we left Nebuchadnezzar, he was crazy happy, right? Because he had had the answer given to him. He had a dream. It had just caused him all sorts of fits. So he called all the magicians and the soothsayers and the the psychics and everybody in his kingdom to come. And he made one little caveat. He said, look, I need you to tell me the dream and tell me what it means, but you tell me what the dream was. He wasn't going to tell them the dream and have them guess as to what it meant. He said, you tell me what I dreamt. And they're like, well, we can't do this. Nobody can do this. There's nobody can do that. Well, Daniel hears about it because the king got so mad. He said, fine, I'm going to kill you all because you're worthless to me. Daniel hears about it, goes to his middleman Nebuchadnezzar's middleman, and says, hey, give me some time. I think I can help the king. So Nebuchadnezzar goes. He prays with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego he gives it over to God, and God comes to Daniel in a ninth vision and tells him, "Here's what the king dreamt. And here's what it means. So Daniel went back and the king was he was all. Aw- I mean, he was like, "You are the one who serves the one true God, and there are no other gods like your God, And from now on, we're going to serve this God." And he fell on his face, and he's a devoted follower now. He went all in, Kanye West. Talk about Kanye in a minute. (laughs) Because here's the thing, when when we hear somebody that proclaims to be a believer, a Christian, we're like, yeah, they're one of us. And then they drop an F-bomb on TV and you're like, no, they're not one of us. Get over yourselves. They're exactly like us. So Neb goes all in. And that's where we leave him in chapter 2. And then chapter 3 starts. And it's a whole different story. It's a whole different feel. So here's the thing you got to realize. There's a time gap between chapter 2 and chapter 3. And that time gap is 16 to 20 years, according to most theologians. 16 to 20 years. 16 to 20 years of Nebuchadnezzar falling fall, fat on his face to worship the one true God, to them being told, because in the dream he was told, you are the king of all kings. You are the one who has the best, the best dynasty, the best empire. It's, there's never going to be one like you. She so had 16, 20 plus years to think, I am the man. Look at my, look how blessed I am. See, and it goes like this. The ratio goes like, like look how blessed I am. To eventually, if you start believing yourself enough, you go, look how smart I am. Look how good I am. Look how deserving I am. So desire, ego, and circumstance builds up over 16 to 20 years in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And Nebuchadnezzar has time to reconsider. He may not realize he reconsidered. He's like a lot of us. We are very fervent and adamant when we make our commitment to God and to follow him. And we're never going to go back and do the things that got us away from him in the first place. Never, ever, ever. Then time sets in and old habits come back in. So Neb has some time to reconsider. I've gotten to know King Nebuchadnezzar a lot over the last three or four weeks. I call him Neb now. It's my own little, if I slip today, that's who I'm talking about. So the desire, ego, sin, and circumstance gave Nebuchadnezzar pause about this impulsive commitment to the Lord. Now, Nebuchadnezzar has been thinking, look, in the dream that I had that Daniel Interpreted that came from God. I'm the golden head. I'm the top. So wouldn't it be natural to think that maybe after a couple of years, Nebuchadnezzar starts saying, like, "Well, if I'm the head, shouldn't I be considered the whole body? Shouldn't I be considered the whole thing?" And that's what's going through his mind. He's saying, "I don't just want to be the head. I want to be it." And so he sets out to build a statue, and he gathers all his craftsmen, his engineers. And he gives them the uh, directions for it. It's to be 60 cubits high by 60 cubits wide. To translate that, it's 90 feet high by 9 feet wide. Now, I'm, I'm not a builder. I'm not an architect or a craftsman. By any stretch of the imagination. But I do know this. I heard this saying forever. The broader the base, the better the balance. So there is a literal 10 to one ratio between how high this thing is to how much is supporting it on the bottom. It's kind of like this. I couldn't do this earlier. I doubt if I can do this today, right now. Okay, hold on. Oh, no, don't, don't. I'm not out here, fall over. All right, so you might want to jump in my arms and feel safe. That's what this statue looked like. I mean, yeah, it towered over everything. It's in the middle of the desert, covered in gold, but it has no base, the foundation is not able to hold up the ego that put it into it. And it's covered in gold, but it's not solid gold. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of <laughs> pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. It had this facade of gold, but on the inside, it's just wood that rots, that breaks. But it looked tough. So he gets this thing, this huge thing out in the desert, you can't miss it. And it comes time for the unveiling, so he sends out an invitation to everybody that he could. He wanted everybody there, anybody that was in leadership in his empire, he wanted at the unveiling. And the demand that everybody shows up lets us know that the dedication to Nebuchadnezzar is his way of seeing if people are in alliance with him. It's a test of their allegiance. And he used this to worship this image as a test of allegiance to everybody. I want to see if, because look, they estimated that there were somewhere between 300 and 350,000 people that showed up for this unveiling. They came from all points of the empire. They had to make commitments, sacrifices. They had to travel to get there. And he said, without a doubt, if you're one of my leaders, you will be here. And you will worship this idol. And guess what? Everybody in leadership, in Nebuchadnezzar's realm, was there, except one person, Daniel. And Daniel was on some sort of important empire business away at the time and didn't make it back, but I just think it's, it's really cool that the seemingly insignificant detail that Daniel wasn't there plays big in God's plan. So let's look at some, some word here, hope this comes up, there we go. I'm going to read it here. And the herald proclaim aloud, you are commanded, O people's nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bad pipe, and every kind of music, he got everybody. Like Nebuchadnezzar, when he was throwing the party, he's like, I want the country band, I want the heavy metal band, I want the pop band, I'll take some rappers over here, and uh, bluegrass, let me get some blue. And this is how I know that the music is loud and it's crazy, and it's awful, because there was a bagpipe. (laughs) If you're offended by that, I just want you to listen for a second. When a bagpipe plays, and they play by themselves, that's okay, right? When a group of bagpipes play, that can be pleasant. Have you ever been to a concert when the lead singer turns around and says, give the bagpipe some, give it up. No, you don't do that, because it sounds awful. But here we had it. Because Nebuchadnezzar is, is covering his bases. He didn't want to offend anybody. So, y'all gonna love this idol, so we'll have this party that's unreal. So, this huge band, every kind of music, you are, when you hear it, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning Fiery furnace, which I think was a little redundant. They probably could have just said fiery or burning, and you would have got the pick. But he wants to make a point. When you hear the music, face down, worship the idol. So Neb sets up, and he unites the vast kingdom, and he does this because he wants them to worship. He wants to unite his vast kingdom through worship. He wants to be a politician, a politician, Who manipulates religion for his kingdom building? Sounds familiar. Now let's look forward a little bit. We talked prophecy a little bit last week. In the end times, I don't know when they're coming. I'm not getting all worked up about it. I'm just telling you this is how it's going to end. In the end times, the Antichrist will do exactly this He will unite all the kingdoms of the world through worship. That's the play. And you're like, yeah, but that doesn't happen around here. Well, the second thing that Nebuchadnezzar wanted to do through all this is not only unite his kingdoms through worship, but he wanted to establish himself as a god. Because he's sitting there going like, I'm the gold standard of empires. Nothing happens that doesn't go through me first. I am the man. Thou art, Nebuchadnezzar, the man. That's what he's saying. So why shouldn't I be a god? It's what Caesar wanted to do. It's what Napoleon wanted to do. History shows us that throughout our story, throughout our history, great egomaniacs have tried to conquer the world by using religion for their own purposes. Here's one. So in the 1930s, there was this guy named Herr Balder von Schirach. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. I don't care. But he said this. Well, first before I tell you what he said, let me tell you what he was. He was the head of the Nazi youth organization in the 30s. Said this, if we act as true Germans, we act according to the laws of God. Whoever serves Adolf Hitler, the Fuhrer, serves Germany. And whoever serves Germany serves God. That's the line. So I can be really dangerous when we fold nationalism in with spiritualism, in with God. Because somebody, it's just in our fallen nature that we will try to leverage religion to get our our way. Hiller being a great example. Now, that's enough of the heavy stuff. So here, we're back to the story. Here's what the uh, announcer says right before the unveiling. He says, here's how it's going to work. When the band hits the downbeat, you hit the floor, face first. You've got two options. You worship or burn. Those are the two options. There's not a third. And when the music started, everybody did. 350,000-plus people, boom, they're on the ground. Their faces are in worship, in worship to the idol. All of them did it except three Hebrew kids. I got the right scripture here. I do not, so I will read it. Verse eight, therefore, at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, "O king, live forever. Did you ever have somebody that comes up that wants to like like tear somebody down and they butter you up first? Okay, right. this is what's happening here. Just see it. Nothing changes. O king, live forever. You are the man." You are the reason we worship. That idol's you. We love you. You're the golden head. O king, you have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the harp, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, you can't see it, but they made it a point. There are certain Jews. It's not all of them. They're not all bad, just certain Jews. And they're the ones that you appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. We're not saying you made a bad decision, king. You probably should have picked us to do that. But you gave them a lot of responsibility. And, you know, we're not going to question you on this. But I just can't believe that they're not going to bow down to your image, to your idol. And we just thought we'd let you know. We just thought we'd we'd let you know. Solomon says this in Song of Solomon. He says, jealousy is fierce as the grave. It flashes are flashes of fire. These guys were jealous. And these Chaldeans had a political motivation to rat out. They didn't love Nebuchadnezzar. They wanted those three guys' position. They thought those three guys got over on them and they were better than them and so they wanted them out of the picture. So they decided to rat them out. Now here's the thing. Just like Daniel when he went and said, I'm not gonna eat the king's food, he didn't do it as a flashy protest to go look at me and draw attention. He just very politely, very respectfully said, hey, I have an issue, can we do this? These three guys they didn't stand up and yell, and we're not worshiping this I idol. We are Hebrews, and we worship the one true God. They didn't do that. They just did what they knew they had to do. They didn't bow to another God. They weren't doing it in hidden and behind closed doors. They were public. And so they had to know that they were going to be discovered. But they obeyed God rather than man. Next verse 13. And I'm sorry about the slides. That's on me this week. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered them and said, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are already... If you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Okay, so now if there's a soundtrack going on, In this dialogue, when Nebuchadnezzar goes, And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Dun dun dun. Because this is where Nebuchadnezzar finally really flips. Now, I want to give him credit before I roast him. Nebuchadnezzar did something that in his rage that is kind of cool. He didn't just take the words of the Chaldeans. He didn't say, Oh, really? Go kill him. He didn't say that. He said, Bring it to me. I want to see if this is true for myself. And that picked and created an even greater test for these three guys because now they have to stand eye to eye with the king and tell him. And it's a big test because now that line in the sand, well, maybe we can take a step back a little bit. Hey, stuff's getting real here. Maybe maybe I was a little harsh in saying I wouldn't bow down to you. Cuz it's one thing to make a stand for God. And at some point, well, all of us in here Being in here today, you made a stand for God. You could have been anywhere else. You said, Look, I think I need to get some God in me or get some church. I'm going to come here. That's a stand for God. It's easy. And it's one thing to make a stand for God, it's a greater thing to stick to your stand when pointedly asked, Is it true? It's one thing to make the stand, it's another thing to make the stand when someone asks you pointedly is it true do you believe that so several years ago now it's hard to believe that it was several years ago there was that shooting in the Columbine School and there was the story of the one young lady who had had a reputation and the people knew in church that she was a Christian she made no Effort to hide it, she lived out her faith. And one of the gunmen, one of the gunmen, censored myself there. Um, When they saw her, they came up to her and said, if you renounce Christ, we'll let you live. So this is a real hard line moment of when they say, is it true? Is it true? And she wouldn't. And they killed her. There were stories of missionaries and martyrs all over the world that were given the same test. Is it true? Yes. And they sacrificed, they lost their lives. Their lives were taken from them. Even, even Jesus' own disciples. When Peter, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. They're not going to get past me. He follows Jesus up until after his arrest, but immediately after his arrest, Jesus is asked face-to-face, eye-to-eye, is it true you're one of his followers? And Peter goes, nope. Not me. Is it true? Because I think all of us in here We'll have moments, big and small, all throughout the day, all throughout our weeks, where people ask in one way or another, is it true that you are a follower of Christ? And what we say and what we do, we'll answer them. Now, the line that gets me, just because of the arrogance and, and everything else, is when Nebuchadnezzar says, and who is the God who will deliver? And that's sarcastic. Who is the God that will deliver you? Because you you can shake your head and say, well, I'm not sure if it's sarcastic or not, but look how he answered it. Who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? I'm the captain now. I'm the head. I'm the guy. You want to live? It's because I let you live. You die? It's because I want you to die. And so when he says, who is the God? who will deliver you now. He's insulting every god. He is a humanist in the the very definition of being a humanist. He's He's not trying to play nice with foreign gods or false gods or the one true god. He insults all of them because the god that he really believes in is Nebuchadnezzar. The god that he really thinks is the one who has the power to save is Nebuchadnezzar. And there are some of us, myself included, that go through times in life when we think we are the God that's going to save us. I can fix this. I can overcome this. I can rise above this. I can handle this. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can go both ways in this story. We can be Nebuchadnezzar thinking, I'm the thing, I'm it, or we can be the three men, and say, I stand with God. So let me, let me go on a little bit. I think I have got this one I do. Right, see? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, next week we'll look about the fiery furnace and how three went in and four were there. I'm just going to tell you, to me, the story tops off right here. This is the moment. Because this is the moment that we see what faith looks like, what's saving faith looks like. This is the kind of faith that you can have if you will know the things that these three guys knew. First one, when they said, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. That shows that those three guys knew God's power. They knew it because they had walked in it. They had trusted in it before in small things. And so when the big things came up, they're like, there's no reason to think that he doesn't have the power to do it now. They knew that God was able to save them from both the burning, fiery furnace and from the hand of Nebuchadnezzar himself. Do you know that power? That's that's the question. Some of you do. Sunday school, Bible school, adult Sunday school, whenever your mom's singing songs to you when you're a kid, you watching Veggie Tales, you know the power of God. We all say that God is all-powerful, and then we put him on a shelf or we put him on a glass that says, in case of emergency, in case everything I've done on my own hasn't worked out, in case my little futile plans or my agenda has gone bad, break glass, get out God. We need to know the power of God. And they did. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. But then they said something else. They said, but if not. So this is where real faith comes in. Because everybody praises God when it's a good day. Everybody praises God when their prayer gets answered the way they wanted it answered. But what do you do? What do you do when it's not answered the way you anticipated? What, if it, what do you do when it's not the answer you wanted? Here's what I love about this. But if not, these guys understood the idea of submission to God because he's God. They knew God's power, but they also knew that what they must do, what was right, even if God did not do what they expected or hoped him to do. This is where we fall off. This is where it gets hard, and this is where it gets real. Everybody, everybody, that have a problem on a cross as a piece of jewelry. What if he doesn't answer your prayers the way you want them answered? You think he's mad at you? Think he's ignoring you? Think he's not as strong as you thought he was? What? If his way is better than your way. Look, here's the thing with these guys. This, this, is, this is huge. But if not, you can go ahead and throw us in the furnace. They're not saying, they're not walking up and having all sorts of swag going, hey, you know what, um, yeah, we're not going to bow because God's going to pull us out of the furnace. They didn't do that. The big difference between God's going to pull us out of the furnace and saying, God can pull us out of the furnace. They went up and said, but even if he doesn't, we're still not bowing because he's God. They didn't know if he would or not, but they didn't doubt God's ability to do it, and they also didn't presume to know God's will. They're agreeing with Job when Job says this in Job 13, 15. Though he slays me, yet still I trust him. Look, my 52 years here I've learned this. It doesn't always go the way you wanted it to go. It doesn't always turn out the way you envisioned it. It doesn't mean God's a jerk. It just means we live in a fallen world. Sometimes the diagnosis rocks you to the core. Sometimes the relationship ends and your heart's broken. Sometimes you get fired from the job. Sometimes you can pray with all your might for something to happen this way, but it doesn't. But he's still God. The idea of growing faith is this they recognize that God's plan might be different than their desires. But we want to be our own gods, right? We want to be our own idols and we want to do it our way. Let me just ask you, take a recap of all the kicks in the shins and bumps in the roads and all the things that you got off track and all the things that you thought the world hated you and woe was me and all that, and it was all you're doing. I mean, how was your plan working out for you? That was for me. That's personal experience. But if not, they submitted to God. So they're saying from the get-go, look. If he saves us, we worship him. If he doesn't save us, we worship him. But the one thing that's going to be the constant in all of this, we ain't worshiping you. Zig Ziglar, Zig Ziglar said this. I think it's one of the greatest quotes. I know there's a God in heaven, and it ain't me, and it ain't you. Powerful stuff there. But then they said this. But be it known to you, O king. There's no trace of excuses. Here's the thing. When we are tested, there's no trace of excuses. Well, she didn't. Well, he won't. The devil made me do it. All this stuff. There's always an excuse. Everybody's got an excuse. We all got issues. Grab a tissue. All right. So everybody's got one, right? Uh, The water was too cold. We're like we're like Goldilocks, right? We come into life, you know, the porch is too hot, it's too cold. This was just. Everybody's got an excuse. We are tested. And when we are tested, there are all sorts of excuses because excuses mean you don't have to make the decision. You don't have to own up to it. You say stuff like, well, everybody else is doing it, or "I might lose our job, or God will understand. That's my favorite. God will understand if I do something that is against his will. Let's talk to the dads for a minute here. Um, when you have kids, would that line ever work for you, for your kids? Like, my kids came up and gave me that, like, well, I knew you would understand, even though you told me not to. Huh. Then you must be the dumb child then, because that was never the case. But we do that to God all the time. God will understand. Here's how we do it. You may not even realize it. He said, you ever done this? Doesn't God want me to be happy? You ever heard anybody say that? I lost a friend over this once. They said, well, don't you think God wants me to be happy? (laughs) Oh, bless your heart, sweetheart. No, no, um, God doesn't give a rip if you're happy. He doesn't care if you're happy. He wants you to be blessed. The yeah, is the equivalent of you holding a fork and saying, "You know, it would make me really happy if I stuck this in a light socket. That would make me happy. And your parents goes, "Well, whatever it is, honey, be happy." Well, two things: you're an idiot, and your parents are awful. But we'll use this excuse. Well, God will understand. No. Be it known to you, O king, there will be no excuses. We're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have made up. So, I want to give you this what I want you to take away from, because this is where we're going to stop. Stop right before the story gets dramatic and they go, led to the big fiery furnace. Here's what I want you to take away. The first one is this your foundation has got to be bigger than your idol. 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. You build your foundation bigger than the house that you're living in now so you can expand. You put your time into the foundation. Build your foundation bigger than your idol because your faith is not built on emotions because emotions change with circumstances. You build faith through constant obedience, long walk in the same direction, as Eugene Peterson said, and this is why this is such good news, because some of you, like me, every once in a while, we get off the path. Guess what? Just go back. Start by saying today. Today, I will walk as God would have me walk. I'll learn what he would have me do, and I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it the same way over and over and over and then get in a community like us here and we'll walk together because we're going to try really hard to break down the mask that we want to wear that says everybody's okay and we are super spiritual. No, there are times when somebody in the parking lot at Walmart really ticks you off and you want to punch them. Is that me? Just me, right? Huh? Come on. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Y'all happy with everybody all the time? Because if you are, you get to preach next Sunday. But it is that foundation that is built. The only hope that I have is the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And the only reason that I know that saving grace is that because I have more days walking with him now than I have walking away from him. And that's not a brag because it's a really short margin. All right? You build your foundation bigger than your idol. You build through faith of constant obedience. And you build your faith by small steps of intentional obedience. Your foundation has to be bigger than your idol. Nebuchadnezzar's foundation was not bigger than his idol. His foundation of who he thought this God was that gave him what he wanted to hear wasn't big enough to let him become the God. It just didn't work out. But it was boys because they were able to be faithful to him. Here's the other one for the posers in the audience. Raise your hands. All right, so eventually you will be known for who you consistently are. Let me say that again. I don't know if I understand it. Eventually you will be known for who you consistently are. Posing will only work for so long. Our true colors always come out. Nebuchadnezzar posed like he was one of God's children for a while, but that only lasted for a while. You've got people in your life, look good on the front side, but then they'll stab you on the back Yeah, the other. They're not who they are. I'm just telling you, this works out. People get known for who they are. So if you want to be known as a faithful believer and a quality character person, Start by building that foundation now intentionally and consistently day after day. Be who you are consistently so it reveals who you are. Posing only works for so long. Here's the other one. You'll be identified by who you serve. So right now, there's no turning back for these three guys. They will be identified from here on out as children of God who serve the one true God. Because that's who they serve. You will serve somebody. I didn't say that. Bob Dylan did. It makes it a lot cooler when I tell you that Bob Dylan said it. So we all serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but we all gonna serve somebody. You know, you couldn't understand what he said when he sung it, but I'm telling you what the lyrics say. We all serve somebody. You will serve money, you will serve sex. You will serve drugs. You will serve alcohol. You will serve fame. You will serve fortune. You will serve Instagram. You will serve likes. You will serve something, and they're all false gods. You will be identified by who you serve. Let's talk about Conway, for Kanye Conway, Kanye, for a minute. I think it's great, man. I think it's all. Awesome. I've seen some video of him proclaiming, like he said, "Look, I, I sold, I sold you fashion, I sold you music. I'm telling you about Jesus because he's passionate about it now." And I pray that somebody's come alongside of him and, and guiding him and, and nurturing him because it's a flash fire right now. It's all super. F- for crying out loud, he was in Batesville, Batesville. Kanye was in Batesville. You know, the most famous person we ever had in Greensburg was Tom T. Hall. But I hope and I pray and I pray for him. Look, you know what? I listened to his album. I've listened to his album in this church before. His Jesus record. There's some good stuff on it. But if you put him up on a pedestal that he's going to be perfect, guess what? You're going to be disappointed. Or if you don't consider that he could actually be a believer, you're going to be disappointed. I think you're even worse on that. Do I think he could fall? Yeah. You know why I think he could fall? Because I fall. I can fall. So I can be Nebuchadnezzar as easily as I can be Shadrach. I can think that I'm all that and a bag of chips. Or I can think that I'm all his. There's really only two differences. So I want you to hear this, especially when I said God will understand. Look, I know it's tempting. God understands our struggles with sin. That's why he became flesh. That's why he walked with us so we knew he could relate.
1: That's why he loves the
0: sinner and he made provisions at the cross for the freedom from the penalty and the power of the presence of sin. Knowing that God understands should be a spur for us to be obedient because we trust him not to be a get out of hell free card and we can sin and do whatever we want. And I'm saying if you're playing that game, we're like, well, God will understand and I'll just keep coming back to him. And you're just playing him. So don't be, don't be disappointed or don't be surprised when you feel absent from him. He understands. Yes, he understands. And because he understands, he made that way for us to come back to him through the cross of Jesus Christ. And yeah. It's important to be saved. Eternally important. But I don't know what the value of it is if you refuse to walk in obedience with him. There's the praise team coming off. There's one line I want to leave you with, and it's the test line. And we'll talk about the fiery furnace next week. I, you know, I might even show the veggie tail clip and not even preach, but... I just want you to know this. I want to make sure I say this right. We are all one choice away from being either Nebuchadnezzar or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're the one decision on either being someone who thinks really highly of themselves and doesn't need God or has God as an ornament or an attachment, or someone who relies on God. The question that I will leave you with, who is the God who will deliver you? Is it your things?